All right. Hello. Welcome, new listeners, or welcome back, regular fans. And today, welcome to the X-Day audience. We're doing a special live taping of this show today. Uh, so welcome to Work at Life. Um, I'm Maddie Grant. I'm a culture consultant at Propel, and I'm here with my beautiful co-star, co-host, co-star, uh, Sonia Lucina, president of the Workforce Division at Question Pro, who is also an organizational psychologist. So just so you know, Work at Life is a show for everyone, whether you're an employee or an employer, who believes that work should be just as fulfilling as life outside of work. This means that we explore a ton of burning topics related to creating more human workplaces. And what's different about our show is that we look at these burning issues through the lens of both the individual and the organization. And of course, we always want you to leave every episode with at least one practical idea to take back with you. And today, I know that you will have many practical ideas because we have a super special guest. So I'm going to let Sonia take it from here um, to kick us off and introduce our guest. Thank you, Maddie, and welcome Dr. Candace Steele Flippin to the Work and Life podcast. It's so lovely to have you on. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, and thank you, Maddie. Good morning, <laughs> good afternoon, or good evening, Sonia, depending on where you're watching from. Yes, um, thank you. And so today is a special episode. We, we're lucky that we have a lot of different, really brilliant guests. Um, today's episode is actually going to center around um, Dr. Candace's new book. So we have a lot of particular questions around, um, you know, what inspired her to write it, the different takeaways. And um, we're just so, so excited because it's a topic about, you know, really building your career path, particularly as a woman and something that Maddie and I had a whole season in our podcast about the first female recession last year when women were hit particularly hard. So this is certainly a topic that's that's near and dear to our hearts. And we, Dr. Candice, we got lots of questions for you, but before we jump into those, um, you just have such an incredible background and such incredible experience. So before we go into the questions, I'd like to a little more formally introduce you and share your bio with everybody just so they know as you know, they're hearing our discussion, have a list, a little bit of a glimpse around where that passion comes from, where that expertise comes from. So without further ado, um, Dr. Candace Steele Flippin is a senior vice president and chief communications officer at Acuity Brands, a leading industrial technology company based in Atlanta, Georgia. Since 2016, Dr. Steele Flippin has been a research fellow at the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western Reserve University. She has authored three books, Generation Z in the Workplace, Millennials in the Workplace, and the one we will be discussing today, Get Your Career in Shape. Dr. Steele Flippin was named in 2020 as one of the most influential Black executives in corporate America but Savoy Magazine and has received over 20 communications and public relation awards throughout her career. She has been featured on Forbes, CNBC, CBS, NBC, and Today.com. Well, Dr. Candace, <laughs> I don't, I don't even you. know what to say. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I am humbled by having you here. 
And, um, you know, I read your book just recently after we had met and I'm a big reader, like I'm a researcher, I'm an academic. And I just thought, wow, like it was such an incredible balance between research and facts, but also communicated in such a human way that I really felt that I was, as I was reading it, that somehow you knew me and you knew me forever. (laughs) <laughs> and that I just, you know, I thought, wow, like I, I was taking notes and I was highlighting different things. And, and I, I just thought this is a brilliant set of advice, but also communicated in such a way that that felt really approachable. That didn't feel intimidating, mm-hmm. but made me excited to say, oh, OK, like I realize now the areas that I'm strong in and I realize the areas that I really need to address. And so. Um, as I mentioned, this wasn't your first book. Like, what what inspired you to write about um, this topic today? You know, I don't know how many folks who are listening are women or have women in their lives, but throughout my career, I've had so many conversations with women who wanted more, more in their careers. And some of us have moved on like this. Some of us have done this. Some of us have you know, stalled and stopped, and some of us have gotten stuck. And I believe that when you can bring women to a conversation and decision, it's going to be better and more robust. And so I just wanted to create a path for millions of women, millions of more women to get the careers that they need, they want, and they deserve. Yeah. And what uh, I think that is so incredibly relevant in any time, but I think now when we're at such crossroads with the impact that the pandemic has had and We'll talk about that a little bit more later. I feel like I imagine knowing how long it takes to write a book that you probably started it before <laughs> all of that chaos, um, you know, ensued. Yeah. But it is probably, you know, even more impactful and relevant today than even, you know, when you first started thinking about it. So really great, um, yes. great timing. And so um, the book is called Get Your Career in Shape. But I was, you know, joking with you before, like shape is in all capital letters. And it's, you know, sometimes we use it to like shout it off the rooftops. Um, but actually, those are acronyms for different right. things that you cover in the book. Would you tell like could tell us a little bit more about what each one stands for and, and why you found them important? Yeah, so I did a study that has over 2000 women in it. And I started it before the pandemic. And then I had to continue with more research to make sure I was capturing the full experience of women as we go through this uh, pandemic. And what I did was I asked them a series of questions about their life, decisions around their career, you know, their hopes, their dreams, things they could have done differently. And then I took all those data points and coded them to see what themes were emerging. And I also asked some additional questions about how they behave and work. And based on all of those data points, thousands and thousands of data points, I found five themes. And those five themes make up shape. And the first one is S, which stands for save. And what that really speaks to is having a strong financial foundation. I learned throughout my research that women who don't believe that they have a strong financial foundation won't take a risk. And that is because women in the United States are the primary breadwinners in their household. Over 50% of women are the primary breadwinners in their household. And if they are not the primary breadwinners, they are a significant contributor to the success of their household. And so since so much depends on them, they don't want to take a risk if something were to happen if they take this promotion or this new job and they lose that financial standing. 
So the first one is about creating a strong financial foundation so that when an opportunity comes, you'll raise your hand because you won't have that at the back of your mind in terms of what you need to do for your family. The second one is around hard work. And it's not a mystery that if you want to be successful or achieve success, that you're going to work hard. No one's disputing that. I'm not disputing that. But what I learned in my research is that there was a disconnect with women in terms of the expectations around what hard work meant. So see if this sounds familiar. Maybe you've heard this before. You're talking to a friend. She's talked about how hard she's working, the hours she's putting in, the way she's raising her hand to take on more assignments. And when a promotion comes, it goes to someone else. Maybe someone who has less experience. Maybe someone who uh, is newer to the company. And she's scratching her head trying to figure out how that happened. And what I've come to appreciate and what I talk about in the book is that hard work is actually subjective. And the most important thing to do is to be aligned with the person who is evaluating your performance. Number three, advocate for yourself. You know, women, for a lot of reasons, we will not speak up. Now, I'm not suggesting that you speak up just to be heard, but there's so many times when women can bring valuable perspective to a conversation and they won't, or they won't negotiate for the types of benefits or salaries or opportunities that they want. And by not learning these crucial negotiation skills and getting comfortable with it, we lose out on opportunity. In fact, I've seen studies that show from a financial perspective, over a lifetime, a woman could lose a million dollars or more in wealth just because of pay disparity. So it's so important that women learn how to advocate for ourselves and practice that if it's something that's uncomfortable for you so that you find your voice. Number four in shape is P, persevere. I like to say, and you mentioned this earlier, Sonia, there are gonna be highs in people's careers. Things are, gonna, things are just gonna go great. And then there are gonna be moments, those low moments, where things won't go well. And we have a choice to make when those things happen. And sometimes women, we choose to step away and we don't persevere and learn how to have people around us who can fortify us, support us, so that we can go through those levels where we get the best learning and skill building techniques so that we can move forward. The second part of persevering is also knowing when to lead. So we can be really committed and loyal as a gender, um, sometimes to our detriment. And so a good part of persevering is knowing how to ride the highs and the lows, but also knowing when to step away. And then finally, throughout my research, women said that oftentimes they don't feel prepared to take on a new opportunity because they don't have the educational or training background. So see if this sounds familiar to you. There's a male and a female, and they're looking at an opportunity. And the man looks at the opportunity, he goes, oh, great, I'm raise, raising my hand, I'm going to apply for that job, whether or not he has any other qualifications. Mm -hmm. Whereas mm -hmm. a woman will look at that opportunity and say, oh, they, they ask, they're asking for five years. I only have four years and 360 days. Ugh, I'm not going to apply. <laughs> or, you know. We're just, or I think we're all very familiar with this scenario. <laughs> right. And so what I propose is that we become and learn how to be lifelong learners and being open to educating ourselves and getting support systems so that we can 
we can take those on and recognize that if you are a lifelong learner, if there's some new requirement that you need, because you've changed your mindset that you will learn, you'll feel more confident when an opportunity comes and maybe all the requirements aren't quite there, but you say, well, you know what? I'm a, I'm a quick study or I can learn or I have a support system or whatever I need to get through it. So just because I only have three years and 360 days, I'm not going to let that hold me back. So that's Shay. Oh, thank you. And I'm, I'm looking and thinking through all my notes and everything that I took. And so thank you for, for giving us that overview. And now we'll, we'll deep dive into as many points as, as time allows. Um, Great. One thing um, that, you know, I was thinking through, so I'm, I don't know, am I midway through my career? I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Time will tell. Uh, but I'm certainly not, not just out of school and I have some years under my belt. And so that's the hat that I had on as I was reading this book. So obviously, depending on, um, you know, maybe their age, maybe where they are in their career, different people who are reading your book will, will internalize things differently. Right. One thing that related to S, so kind of going almost through through the different letters and chronological shape that really jumped out at me as something that I know I can greatly improve is what, we, what you talked about self-efficacy as increase when you take control of your financial foundation. Now, I, because of my history, and for those of you know who know me know that I was born and raised in former Yugoslavia, my family left um, because of the war. So I've been a huge saver. Like my entire life, I'm like, how much money do I have in my bank account? So that's a positive, right? However, um, the negative or my big developmental opportunity is that I've always been very diligent to see, you know, a physician for my routine checkups every year to go see a dentist and my cleaning and all of that done. Um, these, you know, things that you know are good for your well-being financial advisor, like no way. Like I always considered it myself as like, well, you know, do I have enough assets? Do I have enough money? If I just put money in the bank, is that okay? And then when I actually started to talk to people about it, they're like, get your money out of the bank. <laughs> You're getting a 2% increase a year. I'm like, I know, but if I need it, why would you need all that money? <laughs> so for, for somebody that's been very diligent, um, you know, usually about finances or I thought so, that was really a huge opportunity. And um, you you mentioned if you really you know staggering stats about how many women actually are you know financially responsible for their families, and a lot of times maybe people wouldn't think that because you know we know the pay disparity that generally happens between men and women. And in your book, you also um, have I you know have a quote here with a couple of stats. Today's women are experiencing unique challenges to attaining financial confidence including fewer women with earning power. So in 2013, 60% of women had earning power. In 2019, this number had dropped to 38. So when we talk about the importance, like again, we mentally think maybe it's important to go to a health professional, but we're not seeking as much advice for our finances. Um, do you know what the barrier to that is? Like, is it just lack of awareness? Is it lack of like, how for somebody that's thinking about this, um, like, how can we almost make a ripple effect for women to feel like, yes, I'm in a position or who do I go for? Um, so maybe understanding the little bit around like, why is this not happening? More proactively, like, how could we spread the knowledge to other women to engage in, in that more on more regular basis, or at least sometimes? <laughs> So the, the first thing I would say is 
you know, be okay with once you get the knowledge and then doing something from, for, you know, doing something with that knowledge. I will tell you early in my career, um, I was probably 23 years old and I learned that the company that I had had like a 401k type program. So I go into the HR office and I'm like, hi, I'm Candy Steele. I want to sign up for our program. And he says to me, oh, Candy, you're just 23. You're going to get married and a man's going to take care of you. You don't have to do anything about that. And plus we have this pension, just spend your money. You don't even make that much anyway. And, you know, and I'm just like, oh, 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 okay. And I walked away. And so that was my opportunity where I tried to do something and I was blocked. And lots of women are blocked. They're told these myths that someone else is going to take care of you. So you don't have to worry about that. Luckily for me, his assistant who was getting ready to retire overheard that conversation and came back to my cube later that day. And she goes, oh, he never does that to the men. And she gave me the paperwork so that I could start saving. And so some women get barriers to saving, whether it's in my case, extreme at work um, by the HR person or someone in your family, your life, they'll say you're just starting out or you're going through a divorce or maybe you need to wait because you're saving for other things. You know, the first thing we could do is let women know that you deserve to have good financial literacy and there are three ways that you can do it. And there, there are ways that will make a difference for you. The other thing is personally, it can be overwhelming because if you feel that you're in a good place, like for you, your life experience, Sonia, taught you that it was important to say that was outstanding, but it never occurred to you maybe that, you, that there are professionals out there that maybe could help you. Yeah learn more tools that are at your disposal. And so the best thing I can say is if there's a, if there's a woman in your life, you know, have that conversation with her to say, how sure are you that your financial future is, is as secure as you can make it? And are there resources available to you, whether free or otherwise, that you can at least have a conversation, take an online quiz, do something to make sure you're set up well for now and in the future. And if you work for an employer that offers these, you know, set up an appointment so that you could do it. So the very first thing I would say is let women know we deserve these things and encourage them to pursue them because it's good for them, their families and their futures. I actually have a, an interesting comment um, or thought just listening to you, uh, which is that for me personally, so I'm the opposite of Sonia. I just, I, I'm like, you can't take it with you. <laughs> so I never have any money. It's horrible. However, that was me in my twenties. Yeah. What I realized is that um, I actually know I have good financial list literacy when it comes to my business as an entrepreneur and just even in work before I had my own business, I knew how to do a budget, you know, for my department or whatever, but it never, clicked that I should be doing that kind of thing for myself at home, you know? And I mean, I know a budget is a really obvious thing that most people should have. And I do now, but like it just, they're so completely separate. Like this is a good example of the work and life, you know, like in our minds, it's completely separate, but in actual fact, we need to apply like skills in both directions, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and I, and I get it. There's so much in your day, right? There's just so much in your day that you, in your life that you have going on. And if you're feeling pretty much comfortable, 
it's easy not to look at foundational things. And the, this research is all about what are those foundational things that women should be paying attention to to set us up, set us up well for success. Yeah. And so based on our conversation to me, what's kind of coming to mind, a big part is like even just awareness and what you're doing now talking about it. Because then depending on where somebody is in their career, they say, well, wait a minute, if I'm hearing about this on repeated basis, probably means I should spend a little more time thinking about it. And again, I think it's just because maybe it's not, you know, when women get together, it's not often a topic of conversation. Like I know a lot of times we'll talk about like, depending on, you know, like, what diapers are you using? And does your kid have a rash? And, you know, do I put it like, like different things that are also very important. But I think this is, and maybe it's because sometimes like money is still kind of thought about as taboo. And so like, do I want to tell, but like, if I mention this, do people like, are they going to think I make a certain amount of money? But I think going back to what you're saying, just the foundational, like it impacts so many parts of our life, but it impacts our confidence and it impacts our ability to raise our hand and say, I'm willing to take a chance on this. And I also think to some of your earlier points, a lot of times for women to go up for a position or raise their hand, objectively, it's lost less of a chance than what they think it is. Right. But because they're not used to it, their nervousness is there. And I know in your book, you talk a lot about, um, you know, taking some risks in almost like less it wasn't like um less stakes when there are fewer stakes in place to get yourself trained on it right, and to exactly. get yourself to know like wow I succeeded at this and I, I didn't think I would or you know what I didn't but I'm still okay I'm glad I raised my hand I learned a lot from it and that actually brings me to another point that I read that you know really resonated is the what you were talking about working smarter and not necessarily harder and I had huge luck, I think, at the beginning of my career that one of my first leaders really instilled that in me. And I think she saw at that time I was a young PhD. And in my mind, it was literally like, put your head down and just work, 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 and good things will come to you. And I didn't, like, I was a researcher, like, you get your PhD, and you basically get a list of things for how you succeed, you do this, you do this, you do this research, these are the steps. And if you work hard, and you follow that formula, eventually, more than likely, you'll get your PhD. And then you go out in this world and there's networking and there's like, it, it's anything but like a straight <laughs> path. And like, what yeah. do you do? And so she was really good at, you know, not only being my leader, but also my coach and taking me and saying, okay, this is where you need to be diligent. But here are some of the things that you might not be used to doing that are going to be really, really important for you, your career, for what I understand yeah. it is that you want to do. And that, you know, that circles back to your conversation with really being clear with your leader, what your aspirations are, because okay. if you're not, they probably won't guess, not because they don't want to, but it, it's really not their job. Like their job mm -hmm. is to support you and grow you. But that two-way dialogue makes it a lot more effective in getting the support um, and the coaching that you need. And so um, what would be some advice that you would have for people, particularly women, that maybe like need to take a step back and say, huh, am I working hard or smart or both? Or like, what am I doing here? Like, what are some of the things maybe they could ask themselves to make sure that they're, they're taking those right steps to achieve what they want to achieve in their career? Right. So the first question is a simple one, but can be really difficult for a lot of women. Mm -hmm. Am I and my boss on the same page about my work? You know, have I sat down with my boss on a regular basis and asked the questions, how am I doing? 
is there anything I should be start? Should, is there anything I should stop doing? Is there anything I should stop doing? How do you view the quality of my work? And then maybe walk them through a few of the things that you're working on to say, do you have any suggestions of how this could be stronger or better? So that's the one thing that alignment. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, there is a woman who I used to work with and she wanted to um, impress her boss. And so the requirement was a two page executive summary. That was all that was needed. But she would spend hours and hours of putting these 30 page documents together, one that no one had time to read and no one would be reading. And it was a total waste of her time. And so she wasn't working smart. And so it's really important that you ask yourself, am I working on the right things? Like, am I meeting the requirement? And before I go and do all this extra work, when do I have the time to do it? Is it you know, is it, do, is it happening at the expense of something else? And is it going to be appreciated and needed? And if it's not, then I, I think it's important for us to step back and not look at our pride and ego and just do that one thing really, really well, and then go do something different. And then the other thing is just being really honest with yourself about how you're delivering. And the, and the reason why I say that is, you know, we like to be supportive of ourselves, right? And think that we're doing really, really great work. But if we don't ever ask, how do you really know? And so one of the best ways is, you know, you know what you're doing, but to take that step. So if it's not your manager, maybe it's a peer or a mentor or a coach, just to make sure that you are level set. And then the last thing I'll say is, if you are burnt out on something, do you have the right resources to make yourself successful? And can you raise your hand to ask for more resources? So we like to be the hero, right? We're going to stay up all night and work all weekend and, and, and do it. That's not necessarily working smart. If the requirements of the role dictate that there needs to be resources, at the very least, you should ask for them with a compelling argument to get them as opposed to just taking it for the team. Because here's the deal. If you do that and you do it repeatedly, they will allow you to keep doing it. And then you'll find yourself weeks and months later, wiped out, exhausted. And because if women, we don't complain, no one knows there's a problem. And so working smart is also being honest about, can you really do this? And do you have the resources available so that you can do it well? And have you asked? Really? Now, if they say no, that's a different topic and that's persevere. But for this... <laughs> It, you know, it's really about being honest with yourself and not necessarily having that Shiro syndrome where you can just, you know, work yourself into the ground when if resources are available or even worse, resources are available and you say no. That happens yeah. a lot. No, I know. Oh, I'm fine. I can still do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, ha I have this mountain on my back. Go ahead and put a Mack truck on. It's OK. It's OK. Yeah. I'm happy to do it. I'm a team player. Get the help oh. if it's offered. Say yes. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's a really, that's really great advice. And in some, my, in my mind, it's um almost like the, the next step of like knowing when to say no to something. So like they're, they're, you know, glorified of like, yes, 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 I can do everything, but that doesn't necessarily make you more effective. And in, more often than not, it can distract you from things that can be really impactful and they can really get you noticed. But I think still in, in many cases that overwork can be glorified. And I'm, I'm very hopeful that that's on the way out with, you know, Ariana Huffington some years ago being very vocal about the need for sleep and about how much 
conversations, how many more right. conversations we're having today about burnout. Unfortunately, I don't think it's still normalized everywhere. I think there's still work to do, but I'm hopeful that people are, that are they're as they're more exposed to that information, they're realizing that that approach that maybe was, you know, popular 10 years ago, that we're becoming more human and that we're understanding right. that people need different things and that, you know, this isn't the be all and end all. Um, I'm looking yeah. at all the questions. I, yeah, sorry. I would add one more tip that a male <laughs> shared with me recently. We were talking about my book yes. and he goes, you know, I just never really had that problem. And I'm like, really, how did you, how did you manage that? He goes, oh, I have this go-to phrase. I'm like, do share. He goes, you know, just don't have the bandwidth. Love to do it. Just don't have the bandwidth. That's what Love men it. say. Love to do it. Yeah. Just don't have the bandwidth. And, and then they leave it at that. And then they, yeah, and that's it. And it's like, okay, well, you don't, you don't. Like, everybody yeah. write that down. <laughs> Love to I do know. it, just don't have the bandwidth. Just an hour now, you know, check back again, maybe in a month, maybe there'll be more bandwidth. But I think that that, that is so important. And it's understanding of that capacity. And for us to have the, the confidence, I guess, maybe the, the, be able to introspect and understand what is the bandwidth that I have. And then two, what it is that I have, how do I spend it? And for me, I always talk about how my personal tipping points, I was very much, you know, one of those people early in my career that worked in the evening, stayed at the office late, very often worked on the week. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like a lot of us have been there so we can speak from experience. Yes. And for me, in some ways, the tipping point was it was a little bit before I had my son. But I said, you know, I, I think it was when I moved to Argentina and I said I made a very personal decision for what I wanted in my life. And if I let my professional life overtake that, what's the point of, you know, taking that leap of faith on my personal end? And then when my son was born, it's much, it became much easier for me to say, hey, you know, it, it's six o'clock, our nanny's leaving, and I'm going to go spend time with Mateo. Like, I had him for a reason. But the thing is that I'm hopeful is for people who are on my team, for people who talk with me, who know me, not to take that as like, oh, okay, well, I guess I have to wait to have a kid to do that. It's like, no, no, no. For me, that was a tipping point. And I think it was also at the time that we started to talk more about burnout and we started to talk more about different priorities. But like, I would never expect like, oh, you don't have a kid so you can work at night. Like, no, like there are a million things in life you can do other than taking care of a child. Go live it up, do it all. And if one day, if you have a kid, hurry and do it more now. But one day, <laughs> if you don't have a kid, it's still okay. Like, you know, it's, it's your life and, and do what you want. And it's Absolutely. not like sometimes people are really passionate about their job and they want to put in extra work and that's okay. Um, if that's the right decision for them. But I think right. each one of us needs to have the right decision. And one more thing I wanted to to touch on um, with the time we have is you talk about um, advocating for yourself. And wow, do I feel like that's really important. And um, I actually did my dissertation on impression management and the way women present themselves in the workplace. So that's very near and dear to my heart. One of the things, and I don't expect you to really have an answer here because I know it's very new, but even maybe just, you know, your opinion is I've been reading more and more about what's going to happen in the hybrid workplace. And that, you know, we're seeing some statistics that women are the ones more likely to opt out to work remotely and that women are the ones who are maybe going to do hybrid. And now if we know that before the pandemic, women had a greater challenge of advocating for themselves, what happens now? 
Like how do women actively and effectively do that when maybe their face is not always going to be visible around the office, but their impact will be the same or maybe greater than what it was before? So the first thing that I've seen in my research over the past year and a half through the pandemic, you know, really focusing on how work is changing and what women want. And I often ask a series of questions and I'll ask women to rank them or show their preference. And what I've come to appreciate is women like the option for remote work. Most, most people do, but what they prefer is flexibility. They'll trade Mm -hmm. off remote work for flexibility. And what I believe will need to happen is we just need to be more intentional about advocating for ourselves. So in the past, maybe walk into your manager's office. Now you're scheduling some time for a Zoom call, but the conversation still needs to take place, right? So all the steps in terms of being aligned, articulating what you want, sharing your point of view, disagreeing if you do not agree um, and doing it in the best way possible, those things still happen. So what women need to do is just really make sure they are intentional. If you're on a call, keep your camera on to be visible, you know, still communicate. If it's, if it's a type of call where it's a lot of people and it doesn't make sense to keep the camera on, make sure you're showing up in the chat, you know, after the fact, using the tools and resources that, that are available, raising your hand to lead the team so that you have the visibility, but really your best champion is going to be your manager. And so I feel that women just need to continue to have the intentionality, but use the technology, just make sure that they're present and that they're showing up. And then the other thing is to be honest about what they're going through. I believe that we need more grace given everything that we've learned, you know, these past over two years. And we also need to be able to have more empathy. And, you know, it's, it's not unreasonable given everything that we've gone through to be able to have a conversation with your manager and your team to say, listen, here is what I'm going through. And this is the support that I need and to ask for it. And hopefully you're in an environment where you can do your best work in your team and your manager is going to support you. And we just don't know what's going to happen. I and mean, we're optimistic. Maybe in some communities, the mask can come off because vac- you know, the vaccination rates are high and the, you know, the infection rates are low. Mm-hmm. And people are practicing good hygiene or whatever the case may be. But there are going to be moments when we, we get to go back in and times we, ha- we can. And if you have people in your home that you have to care for and you have to step back and things change, you know, those are the moments of grace. And so what I would say is if you need that grace and empathy, be comfortable about asking for it. I, th- yeah. I think that we sometimes suffer in silence. And the other thing I will say is, you know, I enjoyed all that extra work I was doing when I was coming through my career. I, I, I had fascinating work. I liked my team. You know, I didn't have a family. So, you know, my work blended and it was great. But also, if I'm honest, I think I had a certain amount of fear that I could not say no, because I was really afraid that if I said no, somehow it would adversely impact me. And yeah. it was really in my 30s when my mentor said, why don't you just say no to that? Sounds like you got a lot on your plate. I'm like, well, I could never say no because this is gonna happen, you know, like long list and my bonus will be low, like they'll see I'm not here. I, and a lot of women aren't coached to say no. And I think that's also a big part of it. And so I would just say that women need to have a lot of intentionality. Um, 
really try to push to get the flexibility that you need to make your work and life work and still meet the demands of your organization and to give the grace, ask for the grace and bring empathy to the dialogue. And if you're managing women, you work with women, women are in your life, people identify as female in your life or women in your life, give the grace and the empathy because at the end of the day, we're human. And that dynamic, even though we're gonna produce and deliver for our organizations, there are people, humans who are at the end of that and we need that grace and empathy and now more than ever. And if you do that, you can retain your talent. So you're not paying that 30% of whatever that salary is to try to attract someone new. You have more productive workforce. We learned through the pandemic that productivity at home is not an issue for most right. businesses. Um, and so now we have to think about the issues of wellness and mental health and making sure that you have someone who has taken care of herself so that she can do what she needs to do for you and her team. I love it. And actually, so believe it or not, we're totally at time, which always happens. <laughs> we're getting really into it. Um, and I think what you just said is like a perfect way to close out our conversation. Um, I would just sort of ping off of that and just say there is a window of opportunity right now that people understand organizations understand how important empathy is so if you're you know like candace was saying if if you're in a position to to be able to ask for help or say no to something like now's the time to try it out <laughs> right um sonia do you have anything else you want to say before we hit our little i have more questions but i won't do it <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave those for offline but no just um Candice, thank you. Thank you so much again for, for this incredible book. Um, again, it's called Get Your Career in Shape for somebody who maybe didn't write it down um, at the beginning of the podcast. I think it's brilliant. I think it's full of really great advice. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for all the additional insights that you shared with us. I think um, anyone who reads this book will certainly get many insights from it. So I'm very hopeful again that for those of our listeners who haven't had a chance to read it yet, but are, you know, intrigued and impressed by some of the Thank things you. that we talked about today, that they'll pick it up. So incredibly grateful for your time and, and for joining us today. Thank you for having me Thank you so much. Bye everybody.